but prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. And I'll not laugh or cross that button. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Spellburn is back this week with a potpourri of topics. We catch up on the old mailbag, what we've been up to in gaming, and this week we've got a new Dungeon Denison entry to take a look at. Uh, with me tonight are Judge Job. Hello, hello, hello. And Judge Jen. Hey, guys. Long time no talk. Hey, good to have everyone back. Too long. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely good to be back. And with that, let's roll this on over to Tavern Talk and see what we did in gaming this past week. The first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken! F*** that Tavern talk. Okay, so, Free RPG Day was last weekend. Did anybody do anything cool for Free RPG Day weekend? Yeah. Yeah, went over to the friendly local gaming store and ran, um... Hole in the Sky by Brendan LaSalle. As they had like seven tables set up for role playing games, and it was such a great feel. So many people walking in. Seven tables? Did you run seven tables? I didn't run seven tables, but with all of the offerings they had, because I know there were uh, there were some shadow run things being put out there. Besides the illustrious judges screen for DCC, uh, Goodman also had a fifth ed adventure out. So they had people running everything from Pathfinder to first ed, fifth ed, Shadowrun. Someone ran a new game that just came out called Crone. And there was little old me running uh, DCC for a few hours. Nice. Great. That sounds like a good time. Good turnout for the DCC table. A good turnout for the table and for the store as a whole. They're actually looking forward to doing something like this like every other month now. Oh, wow. Was this their first free RPG day they participated in? Yeah, they just opened in October. So they they were a little nervous because they actually canceled all of the card tournaments that were supposed to be going on on Saturdays. (laughs) So the turnout really made it more than worth it for them. Excellent. Nice. So how's that judges screen? Pretty <laughs> and useful, very handy. Yeah, yeah. Did you get one? I did get one. I had a buddy hook me up with one, so I did get one. It looks awesome. Can't wait to use it in the game. Yeah, I was able to snag one myself. I, uh, I drove around town. Actually, I snagged two. So, Ooh. Yeah, I got got one extra. Thief. You sneaky. That's cool. Uh, so, Joe, been up to any other gaming besides uh, outside of Free RPG Day? Um, yeah, a little bit of gaming. I, at this point, you know, we're talking about our past weekend gaming and our past four months in gaming. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier, dude. What I've been up to in gaming? Well, I've definitely gamed since the last recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but in the last week, uh, let's see. I play. I've, I've been playing in a five E game now. Um, just I just wanted to get a little exposure to five E, and I didn't want to bother to read the book, so um, I jumped in on someone else's game so they can teach me how to play. I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm lazy like that. Um, That's a good way to do it. Let's see. What do you think of it? Um, it's okay. I mean, it's it's got its warts, but um, brilliantly but, put. <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah. It, but overall, it, I mean, it's you know what's kind of familiar. But I don't know. One of the things that bugs me going through the rules, it seems like you know they just want like grab something from every edition just so that they could like. Try to find, you know, those 2E players that, that you know, really love slashing and bludgeoning damage or something, you know. it's um, So, I don't know. They, it just seems like kind of a grab bag, you know, designed to try to pull in people from different editions. Um, so, is, is it going to be successful using that? I don't know. But, I mean, it seems like they're doing okay so far, at least better than 4E, so... <laughs> So, I've been running it for the kids for a kids game. I've been running off and on for the past shoot probably for the past four or five months, and it, it's been okay. I mean, it works well for them because of some of the increased healing and stuff. But but I, I'm with you. It's got I don't know trying to please a lot of people, and uh, it's it's got its own little like I said, its own little warts and wrinkles to it. But it's been it's been fun for the kids game. They've been having a good time with it. So yeah, it's no DCC. No, definitely go. not. Definitely <laughs> not. Um. So yeah, I've been playing on that. Um, I'm I'm working my th- way through Paranoia One E um, rule book. Ooh. Oh, that's awesome! Played that at Origins. Actually, we always have a great time with that one. Really? Oh yeah. Nice. Um, well, which edition do you play? Because I've heard that second edition is a little bit better. Is like the best edition of of it. So you know, I don't even know because we usually schedule. So we play it at Origins, where all my online, you know, the actual play group gets together. So usually everyone's drinking too much. We're not too concerned about additions. We never ever complete the mission because we start <laughs> killing each other like five minutes in. We it just suddenly becomes this big, you know, uh, crazy. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm trying to set up a game of that. We'll see if we do that soon. Um, and then um, I haven't run it yet, but. Um, the guys really want to play, you know, in my home game, want to play um, Lankmar. They're all big uh, Fritz Leiber fans, so they're like, um, take us through the, you know, the Ningobble adventure. So um, I'll probably do that sometime in the next couple weeks. So somehow this turned into what I will be doing in gaming, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'm reading the books. How about you, Jeffrey? So, again, since it's more than just the last week of gaming, I did have Origins come across in that time, and I'll skip some of the more normal stuff, but one of the guys in the actual play group, uh, the guy that actually ran Bong, uh, Matt, he did a DCC Modern game. Super fun. It was, uh, uh, we all had, so like my dude ended up like an M60, and so of course I named him John Rambo, because it was set like back in the 80s and stuff like that. (laughs) 
And then uh, we were supposed to go take out Muammar Gaddafi, but we had the Bin Laden compound for the map. So I'm all like, we want a helicopter and we just want to crash that thing in there. And it's all like, well, can you fly? And I'm like, did you not see Rambo 3? Of course I can fly. <laughs> so, And he was a cool judge, so he just rolled with it. So we had a great time. We ended up getting killed by some big old dragon at the end of the thing. And uh, uh, it killed us twice, actually, because he let us do a do-over after we all clustered together and it killed us in one breath. And then he let us do a do-over, and we still all died. Uh, well, okay, we didn't all die that time. A lot of us died uh, that time. So, yeah, so we did that. Uh, I ran Hypercube of Might at Origins, uh, which is pretty cool. That was a good time uh, going through that. So I did a lot of that. Uh, let's see, my local group, our Pathfinder game just ended. Uh, looks like we're probably switching to something like Labyrinth Lord or something like that for the at least the upcoming short term on that. So, uh uh, so yeah, it's been pretty busy, all things said and done. So that's what I've been up to. Sounds very cool. Yep. Okay, so with that, let's take it over to and summon some emails. You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. Following emails have been edited for link and content. Well, um, our our email bag has been woefully neglected. <laughs> yes, woefully. Uh, so it just makes sense to start in with one from our good old friend DM Kojo. He's oh, always Kojo. got one there. Yeah, salutations, burner of spells. I recently had the opportunity to introduce some of my friends to DCC via Sailors on the Starless Sea. They were all brand new to tabletop gaming, which always makes it a fun experience for me. During our first session, I explained to them about the concept of metagaming and how they should try to do what their characters would do and not incorporate non-game knowledge into their decision making. For the most part, they did that, but one of the players asked a great question when we were done. She wanted to know if metagaming is bad, then why is it okay to do so much of so much of it when you're deciding how many luck points to spend or how much you need to spell burn. And she kind of has a point. When you're making such decisions, you're looking at DC factors or spell charts to see how many points you need to get to a better result. And by definition, this seems to be metagaming. Uh, I normally despise this in my games, but it seems to be so integral to the mechanics of DCC that I never even thought of it that way. I appreciate your thoughts on the topic. So, Job, what would you say? Uh, well, that, that's a really good email. Thanks, DM Kojo. Uh, very thought-provoking. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel like metagaming to me. I mean, one way you can look at it is that you know, since you're the DM or the judge. You're kind of the the narrator of the world, so a player in in the in the story in the narrative might have a pretty good idea of you know how much you know extra oomph it would take to you know pierce uh, this creature's armor with its sword or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, the judge is kind of filling in that knowledge that if you were there really in person seeing it, you might be able to know. But you know, since since we are seeing the game world like reflected through the lens of the DM and kind of everyone's shared 
idea of what's happening um, at any given point. It doesn't feel like metagaming to me necessarily. Yeah, I have to agree. I sort of, I, I guess I've never quite felt it was metagaming, but I could certainly see how someone could call it that. Because I know, you know, there's been times where, you know, my players will have the book open. It's like, oh, if I, if, if I can get a luck from a halfling, two more points of luck, I could do this. And, you know, then it gets into a little bit of that. But, you know, for the most part, I guess it, like you said, I like the way you put it. You were sort of using the lens that we look at it through uh, sort of shapes that. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, it hasn't been, it just hasn't felt that much like metagaming to me, but I could see as you look at it from the outside that it might have that feel. Just, But it does just seem to fit DCC and how, how it goes. But I don't know. Jen? You know, when I think metagaming, I actually have to go the opposite direction. And I have the problem where my character would know X, but I as a player, I don't have that kind of knowledge, you know, in the world of sorcery or whatnot. So I don't know exactly how my wizard would go about doing this, using the stats as Spellburn and, and helping to you know, bump something up kind of makes a little bit more sense to me and, and having the stats there to fiddle with and, and spend appropriately seems like it actually makes a little more sense for me, you know, rather than just sitting there going, well, uh, I, I don't know the exact technique, so would my character? So I'm, I'm kind of on the, on the opposite side of his player there. Yeah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it's like, metagaming is like porn. You know it when you see it. it yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. Okay. It, I would explain to the player, you know, that metagaming would be kind of been using your personal knowledge to work around the rules of the system. And in and, and the case of, you know, how the mechanics work in the game, it's, you're not really working around it. You're working within the framework of how the game is supposed to work. Well, that, that's a pretty fair answer. Hopefully that helps a little bit, Kojo. Yeah, good email, Kojo. Yeah, thanks. Good discussion. Yeah. Thank you. Next one, we have Stephen Parks. Hi, Judges Jay. I just wanted to drop you a word of thanks for introducing me to the DCC RPG. I've been playing fantasy role-playing games since picking up basic D&D in 1985. I've reluctantly gone along with all of the changes in D&D until discovering Wild Games Production Podcasts and DCC. Now I'm partying like it's 1974. Unfortunately, my wizard isn't having quite as much fun. Corruption is a deliciously fun thing. And he actually attached a couple little pictures made using, I guess, hero machine software. There's a before and there's an after. <laughs> and he says, oh, well, as Jen has taught me, always remember the longer you live, the sooner you'll bloody well die. Kudos to Stephen Parks, man. <laughs> nice. Yeah, very cool. And that is so true of the wizards. They just slowly just go downhill. So, uh, bonus points for using the song lyric. That, that, that's worth at least two points of luck, right? <laughs> Definitely. All right, thanks All for right the email, Steve. Steven. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. Yep, thanks, Steve. Okay, next in our little bag, we've got Quinn Kaufman. Hello, Spellburners. Judge Quinn here. 
I've run a crawl jammer slash crawling under a broken moon campaign and a separate Gamma World 7th edition campaign with my group over the past six months. I ran Cry Freedom and Let Slip the Batman of Venus. It ended at a TBK except for a single wizard using a gliding backpack to escape out of the forest. Uh, now I've had him land at an outpost of the desert where he will meet the survivors of the party's latest funnel. But my question is, if I have a large group, seven players, and I've given them all three zero levels, and I want them to experience the cutthroat nature of the funnel, should I up the funnel or just add an encounter at the beginning to kill a few off? I see where the encounter could be bad, making them have extra experience in reaching first uh, level too fast in the adventure. So what should I do, and how should I go about upping the funnel if I do that? And as a note, I'm planning on running Sailors of the Starless Sea. Well, let's hit Jeffrey first. So I'm thinking you don't have enough characters to get through Sailors of the Starless Sea even without upping anything. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you've got a sole survivor from a TPK joining these people in a funnel. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yep, yeah, he meets the survivors of the party's latest funnel. So I don't know. I think I mean running sailors with seven players and at three zero levels. I think that's probably ballpark of being just about right. I don't think I would have modified much of anything with it. I'm trying to think when I ran sailors. I want to say we had like eight people with three or four zero levels, and I, we still turned through a lot of them just getting through that. So. I don't think I would up it. As far as the experience level question, I'm one of the people, and I know there's differing opinions on sailors at some level. There are people up to first level during the adventure, and then there's people like me that know you have to survive it to level up. So, you know, that one could go either way as far as the concern of if you add an encounter. Uh, I'm of the sort that if I added an encounter, I still wouldn't be throwing out experience until they complete the funnel, but I know others vary on that, but that's just one little note on that. But I don't know. Joe? Yeah, Sailors is, is definitely one that you can level up in. Um, and I've let people level up in it before just because they probably would have gotten wiped out if they didn't. Yeah, that ending's super tough. I mean, I totally get the people that level up, I totally get why they do. I'm just a rat bastard DM, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can always just hand them more characters, but. I've I've always kind of played that one where you know they start dying if they're still up above ground then I usually let them take some more characters but by the time they're going down the stairs I just kind of started winnowing off the party but yeah if, I, if I, someone's left with zero characters by the time you get to the finale yeah chances are you could give them you know one maybe oh I usually get one of the other players to give them a character but. I've done that too before, where I have another character give them a character. Hey, pass it, pass one of your people off, or something like that. Oh man! But maybe you don't want to do that. You got seven people, and you might want to get rid of somebody. So, yeah, time for you to go home. Die. Yeah, okay. and you actually die in real life. Um, oh, if only. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm with uh, you, Jeffrey. I wouldn't I wouldn't up it. it, it Probably fine. I mean, if the players are really smart and they play really well, they might have all their characters together. And well, I don't know. even with twenty-one, if you had all twenty-one characters at the end of, on the ziggurat, it's still going to be tough. So, yeah, I agree. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, for, if we're talking sailors, I just ever I don't know if I would up it. If we're talking like Portal or some of the other ones, you know, where they're shorter in nature, then upping something, adding an encounter, I could see doing it. But with sailors, it's it's such a long funnel and pretty brutal. Unless they completely bypass like everything above ground. Yeah, like make a beeline to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my party did. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, didn't you Curses. find the end pretty difficult? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's great until they start rolling 20s constantly. Yeah, there's always days like that. So at that point, yeah, if if the big, big bad hasn't come out yet, yeah, maybe give him an extra hit die. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just kind of ballpark it myself they're just getting you know if they're noobs and they're getting completely owned then yeah maybe just give them some more characters but cool well thanks for writing quinn yeah very good question yep good one okay rummaging through oh look another from dm kojo who would have guessed what <laughs> again no man just won't stop our email <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this one says, I am a big fan of DCC adventures that I can finish in one four to five hour session because it can be hard for me to get the same group to play consistently. So I like tying things up when I can. We've played a few Ruins of Vermont, Tower of the Black Pearl, Portal Under the Stars, The Imperishable Sorceress, and Nebin Pendlebrook's Perilous Pantry, just to name a few. Are there other good adventures, funnels, or otherwise? that you've run that can finish in one session. Thanks, DM Kojo. Hmm. So um, that one's sort of tough, I think. Uh, one for me, because I'm used to playing online where I get two-hour chunks of time, so my sense of reality is way far <laughs> off, typically. Exactly. <laughs> it's like I have no idea how long it takes to run one of these in, in real life. But with that said, I mean, he's pretty much named off what I would have called the list of pretty reasonably sized adventures ruins of Ramat and the tower black pearl portal under the star i mean even nevin pendlebrooks that would have been the one i would have suggested because not quite as many people seem to know about that one but that would have been the one i would have suggested and he's already listed it as one so i don't know jen you run a ton in stores <laughs> i actually like the the one shots that get new people in and get them to get interested in the system um Attack of the Frogs from Stephen Newton was a really good one. Can you get that uh, done in the, the four to five? Oh, they, well, in the spirit of full disclosure, they played it in one, but it was tied to part of a campaign. So they actually did other stuff and the entire adventure. Oh, okay. Cool. And we usually do uh, five to six hours, you know, with all the BS and everything. Yeah. Frogs was good. Um, one of the other, he mentioned Ruins of Vermont, one of the other Brave Halfling ones, the Vile Worm. Yep, the Vile Worm. That was actually the first road crew game I ever ran, and it went wonderfully. Wrapped up in one session, nice and tidy. Uh, one player killed off a, another by accident with Divine Intervention at the very end. So, yeah, it was nice and tidy. Uh, hey, Job, do you do four-hour sessions, or what do you what do you normally do when you're running DCC? 
Yeah, I normally do uh, four to five hour sessions. So I've got a lot of experience in this area. So I I don't know. People tell me that this is fast, but um, I've run sailors of the Starless Sea in in between four and five hours plenty of times. Yeah, same here. Okay. Oh, okay, good. I don't know. I remember mentioning that once and people were like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, there's really not that much going on in there. And if you keep people on track, I think it's pretty easy to do that one in four hours. Yeah. I was probably more like six when I ran it, but I was running it with a lot of new people and a very large table and, you know, three or four characters a piece. But I could see if you were in a, you know, slightly different audience could go faster than what I did it in. Yeah, my fa- fastest was I did Dragonflight in like three and a half hours with eight people at the table. But. Oh, um, Tower Out of Time is another really good one. And I've run that as the second level with pregens as suggested and as a funnel. Yeah, I, yeah. I played in Tower Out of Time uh, in that time slot. It seemed to work pretty well. Some of those other um, 0.5 version uh, DCC modules I think are pretty good. Yeah, it actually took us more than one to get through Glip Carry Out. Oh, seriously? Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to no. toot my own form, but I've run that one <laughs> multiple Busted. times in, in four to five hours. So, and then, um, I mean, the other thing is some of the adventures, if you want to run them, you know, it, for me, you know, it's a lot of the published adventures, I don't run straight, but I, I always want to. So a lot of times it's like, okay, well, I really want to run uh, Emerald Enchanter. And I've only got a four-hour slot, so you know, as long as they don't find that secret door at the beginning, <laughs> they uh, I could get them through there in four and a half hours. But <clears throat> basically, wow. what I well, no, they don't play the whole adventure though. So what I do is, you know, at the three-hour mark, um, I say, okay, well, here's you have a choice: either we can play for another hour and you can wander around, or we'll fast forward to the you know the finale. Um, you guys tell me what you want to do. I think that's what you had us do with the one who watches from below, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. When we yeah. played with you, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Gary Con, right? A couple years mm-hmm. ago? Yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, so I do that a lot. And, uh, you know, especially if you want to run some of those modules that you have uh, laying around, that's that's one way to do it. And then, uh, let's see, there, there's also those, uh, those short uh, adventures that are in uh, a couple of the other DCC modules. Remember, there's the cert, the emerald, in, uh, no, the, the the jeweler one from oh. one of the free RPG days. That one will run in four. Jeweler oh. who dealt in Stardust. Yes, that one will run in four. Um, I've done that easily, before. and that that is a great adventure. That oh, I love really that one. Good. Uh, was it the the crown of the serpent king? Is that the one that you're thinking I, about? Is the little additional? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that was in Bride of the Black Mounts. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, Edgar wrote that one. Oh, the 13th Skull was a really good one, too. That was a, a nice, concise one. Yep, I've played so, that one in a four-hour slot before. Yeah. And I was going to throw out there, too, Purple Duck Games, some of their early ones were fairly short as well. Uh, Bone Horde of the Dancing Whore is still probably one of my, I don't know, oh, I yeah. had a great time with that one. I mean, these days it starts to feel like, you know, several years ago, you know, but... Uh, it was that one runs pretty well, as does a uh, Sepulcher of the Mountain God, also by Purple Duck Games, and those were both sort of lower level too, so that works well for you know new groups or something like that too. But those both ran fairly well in a reasonable amount of time too. Oh, and there was one that was part of the uh, Purple Planet box set, the Escape from Purple Planet, or from the Purple Planet. Um, that one actually works pretty well. 
as just a little standalone in that time slot. Nice. So there's a whole list of ones that will work. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for yet another stirring email, Kojo. Yeah, thanks, Kojo. <laughs> Always good. Right soon. <laughs> right soon, right often. It's like voting. <laughs> All right. Uh, looks like we've got another one in here. Uh, this is from JV West. Hey, Spell Burnouts. Still loving the podcast. My attention has been on Labyrinth Lord for the past nine months or so, and now I've started my new DCC campaign. So I'm listening to the backlog of Spellburn for the second time, priming myself for action. Your discussion of the various DCC mechanics, classes, and other game details is extremely helpful. Rock and roll, Judge JV. Aw, thanks. Thanks, JV. I always appreciate the compliments. Such a nice email. Yes. Okay, so how's that mailbag look, Jen? Uh, looks like we could probably use some fresh blood at this point. Excellent. So, so, so Jen, how do people do that? Well, uh, you pop open an email application and just tell me to shut up, Joe, but it's okay. Uh, you can contact us at theband at spellburn.com. Awesome. So we look forward to your emails. Okay, so... Uh, let's go ahead and take this on over to Dungeon Denizens. <laughs> go on, boss, chop his head off. Right, silly little speeder. Jesus Christ! I warned you. My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws spears. Okay, welcome to Dungeon Denizens. This week we do have a submission to the Dungeon Denizens uh, feature we like to run occasionally. Uh, Job, you want to go into details on this one? Uh, sure. So um, this submission was also accompanied by um, a really good picture. And so as longtime listeners of the show know that um, if you submit your own art with your monster, um, you've got a better than average chance of <laughs> being picked. So Yes, you do. So we can put it up on the website and, uh, and everyone can admire your, uh, your creation. Yeah. So this monster was called the pinch blob and, um, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. Take it away, Jen. Tell them all about the pinch blob. Oh, I, I, no, it scares me. This is Jeffrey's thing. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll read. I'll read the thing. You're gonna make me got you make me do it. I just got to read the the description of this because I thought it was really good. Okay, where wizards partake too heartily of ambrosia and mana and become adult, they often spill potions and other concoctions on the floor. The floor of a wizard's lab is never clean, no matter what spells they use to clean it. Given time and neglect and sufficient spillages, things can begin to grow. The pinch blob is a prime example of how spillage can result in a four-foot-tall, five-foot-diameter, 300-pound pile of terror in 44 days on the floor of a wizard quite down on her luck. This fetid, blooping mass can be of any color, but usually smells strongly of rosemary and spoiled milk. 
It moves only 10 feet per round, reaching out to pinch its potential prey. The pincers can't grip, nor can they cause significant damage, 1d2 per hit. But what they can do is cut through cloth, leather, or skin like scissors. If the pinch blob hits with its pincers and deals two points of damage or more, it has drawn blood. If the blood touches the blob's flesh, something weird will happen. Row 1d10 on the table below. If the PC is unaware of this possibility, then there's a 4 in 6 chance that the blood will come into contact with the blob. If the PC knows about the blood risk and uses an action to prevent blood from hitting the blob, then passing a DC 8 reflex check is enough to do the trick. Pinch blobs take a maximum of four points of damage per strike from any non-magical blunt weapon. If the creature is somehow covered with flour or some similar powder, it will be unable to attack or move and will die within 1d3 rounds. So what do you guys think? My dramatic reading of the pinch blob. Did you restart your recording? It was a wonderful reading. It was a wonderful reading. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it might add it comes complete with a set of blob blood effects for when you do get the blood on you. Oh, it, oh, and they stack. Oh, it, it stack, and you make the stupid thing fly, or you know, acid. So yeah, there's all sorts of cool effects to it. Baby blobs, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the, and it's a perfectly disturbing illustration too. Well done, sir. I, I really like the rat magnet blob. It attracts a rat rat swarm. Rat swarm, yep. So that reminded me of uh, I was in high school. I used to work at an English pub in in Florida, and it was you know raining really hard one day, and um, they did a crappy job on the uh, deck they added to the back, and the rain broke through and came like all of it had pulled on the on the roof, came flying in, and I was showered with rat feces and live rats. While I was shucking oysters in the back bar. That, that sounds absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Perfectly delightful, Job. That was one of the most disgusting things that's ever happened to me. Wow. It was a character building experience, right? wasn't it? Yes. And JV West has captured my uh, <laughs> tra- post traumatic stress. Oh, God. I definitely have a new creature for every time my characters hit a wizard's laboratory or something like that. One of these lurking around the corners. Oh yeah, that'll that'll be oof. If it disturbs the players as much as it disturbs me, we're doing good. Definitely. So thanks, JV. We appreciate it. We'll get that posted up to the Dungeon Denison section on the site, uh, complete with artwork. Um, so thanks for the submissions, and keep those coming in as well. Those can also be emailed to theband at spellburn.com. Okay, well, that wraps up the show for this evening. We thank you for joining us. Special thanks to the, our host, uh, Jen and Job, and we look forward to seeing everybody next time. Good night, everyone. Good night, guys. Don't be strangers. Yeah, send in those emails. Dear listeners, I'm very sorry to announce that our co-host Jim Wampler has decided to leave the show. As many of you know, he's the host of another podcast, the mastermind behind the DCC Cabal, a major contributor to GaryCon, as well as a writer for Goodman Games. 
Jim has been with Spellburn since the very beginning as the anchor host and has made major contributions in the form of creating bumpers, editing audio, and procuring guests. It's hard work, but Jim makes it look easy. Spellburn would never have been as successful as it has been without the tireless efforts of this man. Jim is one of the most creative and energetic individuals I've ever had the pleasure to work with. Thank you for all your hard work. We're going to miss you, buddy. 